0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Ponds, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: I'd like to leave you with... um what I might like to call three greats today. Now, there will be kind of four points. It's odd to have three greats, but four points. But I think you're going to follow how that is, and you're going to like that. So I'm going to keep us in one book of the Bible primarily here today. So if you have your Bibles, would you open them up to Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. If you did not bring a Bible, um, there may be some in the pew, or you can scoot next to someone who has a Bible. But we're going to look at the book of Matthew today on what we might refer to as the three greats. Now, out of the three greats, to be real technical with you, only one of those three greats is actually identified as a great. So I'm evaluating two of them and calling them greats because usually uh, Christendom has referred to them as greats, although in Scripture only one is. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 16. I'd like to take you to something that, uh, a passage actually, that would perhaps would be one of the earlier or the very first uh, Gallup polls in the Bible. And Jesus is conducting this poll, and he's asking a question, and then he's going to ask a specific group a question. So let's see how this goes. Let's follow along with me, and then I'll tell you what that great is so you can mark it down and etch it in your heart, perhaps. Verse 13 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And that begins the survey. And I'm sure that that was an important question that he was asking because he found that a lot of people were beginning to follow him, the common people mostly were. Some were kind of connecting through a belief system in some major way, some were on their journey of belief, and then he had a group of people that were very much at arm's distance, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they all had their different belief systems, and they were contrary to identifying that Jesus was God, all right? And so now he's asking them, well, who, who, who do these folks say that I am? And so they answered him. Some say John the Baptist, another say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, and one of them the a prophet, maybe, maybe you're one of those. Well, as I looked at that, you and I who have read this passage, you think, boy, that's kind of dumb, don't they really know who Jesus is? In my opinion, I believe that they were actually giving Jesus a compliment. And the reason I really believe that is because at that time they were still grappling with, yes, Jesus. I kind of hear that. I I think I want to believe that, but they haven't fully engaged in a 100% feet on the ground belief in that. But they're really close, and some may have actually believed in him. The point still being is they were giving him a compliment. It would be like someone might ask you, you know, who are you? You know, who 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 do people say that I am? And if they said maybe a George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or some other great woman, if you're a lady, you'd feel complimented by that, I would think. Now, it's happened to me in some cases. I, I, we're not on television, so more of my voice is known around places. Recently, my wife and I were shopping at Costco. You've got to ch- shop as cheaply as you can in Hawaii. And I was going through the line, and I handed the lady, you know how you hand the the card and all of that? And she says, oh, Pond, I listen to you on the radio here. I I know you. I listen to you every day. And I said, great. And I said, so you know me. She said, well, I actually thought you would be darker than you are. (laughs) Now, I've never, I've had a lot of comments, but I've never had, I thought you were darker. Now, some of you might already be thinking this is a, a racial tension thing. But let's take you back into the culture. Our people are mostly Polynesian, Polynesian mix, etc. So this lady was uh, strongly Polynesian. And so when she thought I would be the same, being on the radio, maybe the name Pons is a little bit of a Polynesian name. All right? So again, who do they say that I am? And that's what Jesus is asking. So there's a bit of compliment in there. But it's always dangerous, those of you that are on the outside of the faith, to begin asking, uh, who is this Jesus? And begin to identify him based on what other people say. You want to find out, what does Jesus say who he is? Now, Christians might tell you who he is. but Make sure that uh, you're understanding it from Scripture as well. I think today you're not going to hear, you know, who is G, John the Baptist, Jeremiah? We're not going to hear that kind of stuff. But I know what we will hear the most frequently is that Jesus is one of the prophets. You'd have to live in a cultic environment, especially like we do in Hawaii with the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses, and we honor you if you're that. We recognize that that's a belief system that you've uh, embraced, but we'd like to... Uh, strongly suggest to you that you revisit that again because Jesus isn't just a prophet, okay? Because you're going to see how wrong that is. So those that might believe that, uh, that's a dangerous belief system to have. And I say that as much love as I can. But let's go a little bit further because he moves away from what other people say of me. So the survey goes on. Now he moves it from a survey to a test question. And he says to them, but who do you say that I am? Now you might want to mark the word you. Unfortunately, in the English here, it's you. So when I think of you, I think of you. If you're, you know, um, if you're Southern and you go up to someone, you might say you all, and you mean one. When there's a group, it's all y'all. You know, you know what I'm really trying to say. So it's kind of a different group. In here, it's you all group. So he's now specifically again speaking to his uh, team, we might say. So he says, now who do you say that I am? And I really like it because the DL speaks up. Simon Peter. Now, who's the DL? The designated loudmouth, all right? (laughs) We laugh at that, but I think that's part of his personality style. In every list that you find, you'll find that he's in the top list, so he's in the group that might be the more uh, influencing one, the ones closer to the Lord, but he's always the one at the top, and he's the one, if you go through Scripture, he talks the most. So it could be that one disciple... (laughs) And all of a sudden, Peter jumps up. I don't think that was the case. I don't think these guys even had time to chime in. I think he just shouted it right out. But if I want to be the most theological, I think the light finally came on in Peter's life in this context. So let's go back to the passage. It says here, Simon answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that is a lot of great Christianese right in there. I, I get that. But there's a whole lot more below that. When it says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, without getting too technical in the Greek, there's actually four thes in there, but there's three here. But even that in itself says, look at it, look at it again. It says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You might want to mark that in your Bible because the emphasis keeps hammering, 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 hammering. Now, when you see you are the Christ, Um, without having enough time to open up all the Hebrew and the background and all the backstory of all of that, anointed, Messiah, deliverer, Savior, whether it's a physical Savior for a nation or even a spiritual Savior is in there. So he's saying, you are, and then he goes on to say, the living Son of God. Now for us, when you hear Son of God, it's like God's the dad, Jesus is the son. We get that, we use that, we talk about that, but it seems like we separate it too much. But in the Bible, in the Bible times, in the Bible teaching, that's actually a high honor to say that we are one of the same. We would use this archaic term, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Well, we would say that they are all one, Son of the living God, you are who you really are. And I like that because it really emphasizes that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of the living God, which makes Him God, so we'll say He's Lord, Savior, Lord, all put together together and one commodity of who he is. And Peter just blasts that out. Now that was kind of said before earlier on, but not with the same conviction or the exact same wording. So that's why I think it was here that Peter really jumped on it. Let's go a little bit further. The response of Jesus would be, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Let me pause for a moment. Simon Bar-Jonah. My name is Stan. Stanley, I like that name. I like it because a lot of people aren't named that. So when you're named Stan, you're kind of like Madonna, if you know what I'm trying to say. You know? All right, get that picture out of your mind. Unless you like that, let me tell you, it seems like every person on television named Stanley is a nerd. Have you ever noticed that? You just hurt me because you're not in your head. But I'm okay with that, because if they called me by my middle name, I'd be in trouble. My middle name is Rudolph. Really? Really? One lady had a heart attack. Really? Can you imagine how hard it was for me at Christmas when I was in elementary school? Okay. So I'm very glad my name is Stan. Now, that's what we're getting here. In a sense, it would be Peter, son of Jonah. So my dad's name is Rudolph. Okay, so I'd be son of Rudy, Stan, son of Rudy, which kind of identifies the family and the whole background. Now, that's really not the important point here. The important point is, it says, go on, look at it, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That whole concept, "Are you are the Christ, the living Son of God, says flesh and blood didn't give that to you, but God in heaven did it. Now, there could be some date, debate on that. And I don't want to get too much into the heavier theology of it, but I think we could make some simple sense out of that little concept right there. I don't want to contradict Jesus, so I'll hang on to your hats. In a sense, a light sense, flesh and blood did reveal it to him. And the reason I say that is because there was a human speaking that message. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 10 says, you know, how can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear without being sent? And all that. So there's got to be a human function of communication because you have to hear the truth, you have to know the truth, you have to know that that's the truth, you've got to believe that it's truth, but then you've got to step over the line and believe that truth for you. Now, that stepping over the line moment right there is when God comes right in, and that's, what, that's when He reveals it to you. So you can hear the simple message that salvation is, guests, by grace alone, not by any good works that we do, through faith alone, by nothing we do. Religious works, baptism, anything religious you can think of. Or any social good deeds. Anything that we could do for our fellow man. Not religious, just do good to others. No works we do. Are we saved through faith alone? In Christ alone. Catch that. In Christ alone. And then it goes on to say that it's for the glory of God alone. And I'm saying that to say this. You can hear the message but there is an ignition that goes off the moment you... I I get that. I get that. So flesh and blood may give it to you, but the actual get that, that get that's coming from the Spirit of God who loves you so much. And I'm just praying right now silently that whoever's listening, uh, that you'll hear the message that going to heaven is not by any good deed you do yourself. The fact is that we've all sinned. By nature, and therefore we acted out, that's a horrible thing. That means we're separated from God now, not when we die, now. And when we die, we just spend eternity in a horrible place of hell. And the worst part of hell isn't the flames and the heat or even the darkness. It's going to be separated from the glory of Christ. And that no amount of good deeds I do myself will get me into heaven. But I need, I need Him to give me His righteousness, and He does that. That's all part of the forgiveness dynamic. When I come to him and say, I can't do it. I can't get to heaven by my works. I'm lost. I, I, I recognize that you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And that's the truth. I pray with all my heart that the Father in heaven is revealing that to your spirit right now that you trust Christ. All right, let's go a little bit further. So that's the first here. So what do you write down? I'm going to say the great confession. The great confession. How many of you wrote that down? Would you raise your hand? Good. What I'd like you to do now, that's the great confession. That's the truth. Now let's make it personal. Above that phrase, put the word make. Make the great confession. That's a choice you have to make. Make the great confession. All right, so guests and family here, if we can agree on something, can we agree that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Would you say that? All right. So we're on the same family on that page. All right, let's go to the second. Great. We're going to turn to Matthew now, if you will. Matthew 22. Matthew 22. This is the wonderful passage of Scripture that our dear friend Gordon read to us. And I'd like to kind of pick this apart just a little bit. This moves from Jesus asking the question to, or excuse me, from Jesus asking the question to an attorney asking a question. So let me kind of give you the background. Remember how earlier on I said there was this arm's length between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and and they had their little spats because of their different belief systems, etc., but now the Pharisees step to the plate, and now they're going to challenge Jesus. And out of all the guys, they pick out one who's called a lawyer. Now, it's not just a lawyer, lawyer. This is the Pharisees know the law, but there's one guy who really knows the law, and that would be the scribe or the lawyer or the one who's going to represent the accuracy of the law. So he gets dubbed the guy to ask Jesus the question. Now, a little bit in understanding the Bible. There's a historical statement, illustration, we might say, that's going on here. There's a point being given. But I don't want you to read it as a history book. And I don't have time to unpack all of this, because I could understand why you would say, okay, this is what happened here, this is what happened here. Blah, blah, blah. All of these truths are truths to connect to our day and time today. And these truths are to connect to you and me, me personally, you personally. This is for us today. So he's making a statement as an answer to this attorney. But in reality, though, it's a statement that he expects all of us to believe and embrace for our life. So now, let's see the question, and let's hear how he answers it. All right, with that in mind, Sadducees come, verse 35 says, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. So Jesus tested the, group, the guys, lawyer, test Jesus. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Now, that's an interesting phrase because even in the Jewish background, the laws, remember how many there were? 613 of those jewels. 613 laws. And there were some laws greater than others. They, they had a different penalty, we might say. There were, there were positive laws and negative laws. And so that's why there would be one that would be greater. And if you could kind of reduce all the laws... You could reduce all the laws, hang on, into 10, which are the famous Decalogue, or the Ten Commandment laws, all right? You you get that even if you can't remember them all, okay? But out of all of those, they're synthesized down to, technically, two, okay? And these are the two. So if you even divide up those 10, you're going to find out more for one, less for the other, but these are the two. But what is the greatest? So Jesus answers, this is it, the greatest commandment. This is where I get the great. This one I can say, yeah, this is the great, great. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. All right. It wouldn't surprise me if many of you have that already underlined in your Bible as is mine. But those of you that are new to this, why would we have that already underlined? Because that is such an important truth that you shall love the Lord. That That is so important because if you go back to the Old Testament, it's mentioned twice there in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, but it really is kind of amplified in Deuteronomy so much that the phrase that Christians have been around a long time you know We're supposed to you know, teach these to our kids and they should live these things out and we do it in the morning when they wake up. We do it the way I do it, it. Uh, well, at night. What is it? It's to love the Lord thy God with all our soul and all our heart. And it says it should be in your heart. That's the key. Just remember that thought. We're to do this and that truth needs to be in our heart and now we then pass it down to the next generation. That's the context that he is now speaking. So now let's talk about loving the Lord. The Old Testament was written Hebrew, I think you get that, you heard enough about that. New Testament primarily was written in Greek, in a common day language, Greek, they had two different levels of Greek. So the Old Testament love was not the, I love the Lord, All right. it was more, it was a choice, it was a cognitive choice, it was a choice based upon truth and fact and history, and they could objectify all of this stuff to make sure that they understood what they were doing, and now they are loving, simply stated, by a choice. It was driven by an intellectual knowledge. Now, I do not want to remove the emotion too far from it. And the reason I don't is because I hear too many emotional words and the concept of David living out his loving the Lord in all of his psalms. If you agree with that, say, "Uh uh-huh. All right, so there is an emotional. But I want you to know the emotional is coming far after an intellectual, a choice of knowing to love the Lord. So it was a all-on love. Now let's go back to the next words that it says here. We love Him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's kind of interesting. Heart, soul, and mind. So let me make it real simple so you can explain it to your kids, and then I'm going to make it a little deeper for you so you can own it because I want you to have more of a passion than, okay, love the Lord. So for your kids, they it might be hard for you to decide heart, soul, and mind, I like this illustration. It works for me. Baseball. Okay, you've got first base, second base, third base. First base is different than second base. We get that. It's different than home plate. We get that. But it's all in the diamond. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? So they're all so similar in in it together. So it's kind of like, with all my being, I'm loving the Lord. But for us who are Christians who need to really go deeper, each one of those words take on a tremendous nuance. And the reason that is important because it says love the Lord with all, with all, with all, with all, with all. So since he is emphasizing all the all, the all, the all, the all, I think what he's doing is he's turning up the volume on loving the Lord. Did you catch what I'm saying? Especially you that are now awake. Okay, let's go on. You shall love the Lord with all your heart. That again could go back to how do I love the Lord? It's with a minor choice that I'm trying to make. With all of your... um, soul that could be and i would feel very safe to say uh, that would be a little bit more of your emotions that's really who you are it's it's uh, different personality styles we might say some might lean more on the intellectual side but doesn't mean they can't cry or shout and then some of you will be those that uh, you just like to alone with God. Others like to praise God and you like the big service. And that's your, it's it's your soul, but there's an emotional, some type of emotion. And it's not one that you're forced to make. It's one of who you are that you're making unto the Lord, driven by an intellectual understanding of who God is and your choice to love Him with that love. Did you catch that? Now we can go to the next word, which is the word mind. In other uh, gospels, Old Testament, it to read the word might, mind and might. And I thought, why is that so different? So I spent so much time trying to do the research on this. And I think I came up with the answer that you ever heard this phrase? Works for me. All right. So works for me. I think it's both. I think that it's a it's a mind thing for sure. I'm not going to take it away from that, but it's a mighty mind thing. It's something that I am going to keep working, my strength. I'm going to put everything I can to loving the Lord, knowing more about the Lord. I remember when Carol and I got married. We've been married 45 years in June, and I'd like you to meet my wife. So I'd like to have Carol stand up. Would you do that? I've had the privilege to say, I did not meet my wife at Florida Bible College. I can say I met her in high school, and she was the one who led me to Christ. All right now, although I will tell you we've been married forty five years, I will more accurately tell you we've been happily married for about forty years, okay don't laugh, don't laugh all right that that those five years were uh, learning years for me, and uh, the, the the struggles that we had as you all had, and some you deal with it easier and better than others. But I remember now, as I look back, that I did love her the best I could, maybe. Not as good as my whole spirit could, but there was that love in there, but I come back to this to say now that we've been married forty five years, and all these other years, there's this loving her with my choice, I want to get to know her, and what makes her tick that's the hard part. What makes her ticked is the easy part, okay <laughs> but it's an all your mind kind of a thing it's i i, I want to, I want to get to the, and don't laugh too. do you know when we set our vows for better for worse sickness and, and in hell? That wasn't for when we got married. I mean, we did it when we got married, but it's for now. She's had cancer twice. All right? Now, now she would... So I don't have to hear this on the way back to the hotel. She's not a little burden, fragile, and you can't talk to her and all that kind of stuff. You know, she's not wearing a wig. She's all right, okay. My sweet wife. I I have to get to know her almost every day. You know, we go through the menopause thing. We go through the surgery. We go through the we're having to redirect her health habits now and getting to know one another and there's two things that we don't do as well don't go too far with that but what we don't do as well is we don't hear as well and we don't remember as well and so we're having to learn how we better communicate with one another you know (laughs) so i am I'm loving my wife, and, and she's, she's the same. And it is a job. It is a work. It, it takes strength. It takes effort, but it takes concentration. Now, I will tell you, as much as this is, what keeps us doing this part is because of God in us. all right. And if we love Him, that brings us to the next passage. Let's go to the next verse. Okay. Here it says, this is the great and first foremost commandment. We got it. And then the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right. The reason I said that is because we're on the other side of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. They didn't have a lot of the revelation of God yet given to them, albeit there was a lot of activity of God that was up close and personal, and you knew that was God. We get that. But there was a whole lot of stuff they didn't have. So we're going to say it this way. They didn't have the sustainable opportunity that we have today because we have the sustainable spirit within us. Do you agree with that? Okay. Now that being said, so to love them, love the Lord was kind of coming out of this earthly kind of blah blah blah. You got all of that. Now you hear it in this section of scripture. They still don't have the spirit yet, but they're loving the Lord. But we're now past this passage of scripture because now we're after we're in act, so to speak, timeline. To those of you, that are Christian now, where the spirit now comes. So now you.